Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may the words of this reflection be acceptable to you, so that your unique message to each of us today will be re received as you desire. Amen. Seeing ourselves for who we are, heroes are quite popular today. Between the two major fantasy corporations, Fantasy Hero Corporations, Marvel and DC Comics, the superhero film industry has generated lots of interest and lots of cash. Marvel alone has generated over $27 billion between 2008 and 2022. And their storylines have become so ubiquitous in our culture that we see them everywhere. Has anyone here seen a Marvel movie, a Marvel Comics movie, and you know, the Avengers, Spider-Man, X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, wow, there's some people here that haven't seen them, okay. Now, the special effects are great, but if the, it's the stories really, along with the character development, that really grab our attention. The lead characters are all heroes of some kind. They have a unique, extreme gift that makes them special but they also have a flaw or a challenge that has to be overcome. And this is what creates the, the complexity or the plot of the story. Without some kind of weakness or a flaw, the story would be over in five minutes. If Superman didn't have kryptonite, then he would nothing, nothing could stop him. But the one flaw we don't see in any of the popular heroes is arrogance. This is such a distasteful attribute that it's only reserved for the worst villains. The audience loves to see the arrogant character fail, and it's a common reaction whether we're talking about fantasy heroes or heroes in real life. The Bible has many stories with heroes in them, and there's usually some attribute of arrogance that they have to either overcome or they ultimately develop a sense of humility by the end of their story. For example, Moses. He was so humble that he almost refused to follow God's command to lead the Israelites out of Egypt when he met God through the burning bush. He repeatedly gave God excuses as he tried to get God to choose someone else to, comfort, to confront Pharaoh. King David. He also had moments of hubris especially when he, took the, he had the mistake of having an affair with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his soldiers. He arrogantly assumed that he deserved anyone he wanted in the kingdom, and even went so far as to have her husband killed while his, her husband was fighting for King David. But David was confronted in his court by Nathan, who publicly announced his deeds of betrayal and ridiculed him. David eventually repented. In the first scripture reading this morning, we see a message from the Apostle Paul near the end of his life, writing to his protege, Timothy. Many would consider Paul a hero of sorts. He traveled far and wide to deliver the gospel message to many people, providing encouragement and confronting, confronting those he, he thought were misguided. In the second letter that we have that he wrote to the church houses in Corinth, he describes how he suffered, saying, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Forty lashes, by the way, was the limit prescribed in Deuteronomy 25.3. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. This is how Paul experienced life as he traveled throughout the land spreading the gospel message in the first century. Despite all the difficulties that Paul encountered, his efforts did prove effective. He's come to be recognized, aside from Jesus, as one of the most influential people in all of Christianity. Of the 27 books and letters recognized as New Testament canon, or the New Testament scriptures, Paul was considered to be the author of 13 of them. Nearly half of the New Testament writings were attributed to Paul. And in today's passage, we see how Paul reflected on his experiences in the last days of his life as a prisoner in Rome. He knew his days were coming to an end, and he felt he had done his best. Until the very last days of his life, Paul felt that he had faithfully fulfilled the calling that he had experienced on that faithful journey to Damascus. He wasn't comparing himself to others, saying that he was better than anyone else. He was claiming a hope, a hope in the acceptance by Christ when Christ returns, not only for himself, but for everyone else who also works towards spreading that gospel message. Although he was deserted by others at times, he was grateful that he was never forsaken by God. Based on his life experiences, he knew he could always trust God to deliver him from whatever, quote, evil attacks came his way. He knew he would be successful, not through his own effort, but through the work of God. Hence his final statement in this passage, to him be the glory forever and ever. This is the kind of humility that Jesus encouraged his followers. In our passage from Luke this morning, there's a message from Jesus that he wanted to give to a group who, quote, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. He told a, a short parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee was aloof, standing by himself and thanking God that he was not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The Pharisee thought highly of himself since he fasted twice a tenth of all his income. And he also had a very low regard for everyone else. He assumed the rest of the community was filled with sinful schemers who didn't deserve the privilege of his presence. He segregated himself from many people, never allowing for an opportunity to engage with someone who might be different and thereby build some kind of new relationship. The tax collector, however, had a completely different perspective. He stood aside and beat himself up, literally and figuratively. He pounded on his chest, expressing regret for the sins that he had committed 
and asking God to forgive him. Tax collectors were known to be dishonest people in Roman times. They were often foreigners who collected fees for the Roman government and usually added extra charges to cover their own expenses. That's how they made their money. The Romans didn't offer them a salary, so they had added fees that they added to collect their taxes. The Romans weren't concerned with the amount that was as long as the, the Romans received what they were expecting. So consequently, tax collectors often lived in luxury by cheating their neighbors. For whatever reason, excuse me, this particular tax collector was now feeling remorse for what he had done. And Jesus explained that out of the two men praying in the temple, he's the one will walk away justified or made righteous in the sight of God. The Pharisee, who thought so highly of himself, would not be justified. Because rather than relying on the grace of God as a means of growing closer to God, the Pharisee was relying on his own good deeds and acts of piety, assuming they would earn him a place in the presence of God. He deserved to stand with God, at least more than the riffraff who didn't follow the right rules or oppress the right people. Jesus concluded the parable with the teaching, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a message that Jesus conveys in several ways in different places in Luke's Gospel. For example, in chapter 14, Jesus tells a a parable about a wedding banquet. He advised his followers not to presume they deserve the best seats where the guests of honor would sit. It would be embarrassing if he, the host had to ask you to move to a different lower seat because a more distinguished guest was present. Instead, pick the lowest place. And if the host or hostess thinks that you need to move to a more prominent seat, he or she will invite you to move up. Again, he concludes the teaching with all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. But like all generalizations, I think this teaching requires careful reflection and a balanced approach. I don't think the point of the teaching is to encourage us to believe we are unworthy or good for anything. We're not expected to be continuously self-deprecating to the point where we solely rely on some authority figure to assign some measure of worth to us. We are, after all, children of God, made in the image of God. We can't earn a closer seat to God at the heavenly banquet, but we know that we have as much value in God's eyes as anyone else. And this is the position worth considering when we find ourselves believing that we deserve a closer relationship to God than someone else. This is the issue that I think Jesus was trying to address. When we look a lot across the street at the homeless and thank God that we didn't make the same life choices that would place us in their shoes. Or when we look at the addict or alcoholic and thank God that we have more self-control. Or when we look at the illegal immigrant and thank God that we have a legitimate right to be in this country. I think it's helpful to remember there are certain, certain circumstances beyond anyone's control 
that place each of us in the position that we find ourselves in today. Some of our circumstances are a product of our choices. And that is a consequence of the blessing of free will which God has given us. But really, all we have and all we are come from God. The opportunities given to us to make those choices come from God. And the grace offered to us when we make mistakes is freely offered to us by God. Working through those mistakes gives each of us a unique insight into life that nobody else could possibly understand. So the homeless person, the addict, the illegal immigrant, they all have a valuable, unique perspective that those who haven't experienced those situations could learn from. Their suffering has revealed certain truths that are probably understood at a deeper level than anyone else who hadn't had that same experience could possibly understand. And they're also quite possibly more aware of Christ, of Christ's presence in the world than most other people. Luke 5, chapter, 30, chapter 5, verse 32, tells us, Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So many of those whom we might consider at the fringes of society are likely closer to the heart of God. So I urge you today to consider how you see yourself in this world and where you believe you fit in. You are undoubtedly a beloved child of God, no less than anyone else. When the rest of the world seems to be against you, picking on you or testing you, you can take solace in knowing that God is with you, loves you, and will give you strength. By the same token, every other person you encounter, regardless of their circumstances, is also a beloved child of God. It's been said that God is closer to us than the air we breathe. So I don't know how any of us could really get any closer to God than anyone else. Therefore, I invite you today to search for Christ in yourself and in those you encounter. And there you will find the image of God. And at the deepest level, I think that is who we are.